0: McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing, so get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us in the Awaken My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show in the world where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Maxine Choi. She is a certified health and nutrition coach supporting women to achieve lasting lifestyle changes by cultivating mindset, consistency, and accountability approaches to manage their overall health and well-being. Please welcome to the show, Maxine Choi.
1: Thank you, Makini. Thanks for
0: having me. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us.
1: Oh, yes. This is great. Thank <laughs> you. It's, Finally, um, we get to meet and talk in person. Maybe.
0: Yes, yes. Um, I've I've been looking forward to this conversation. So, I mean, I know that we study a lot of the same things and we're interested in a lot of the same things and we're very big on, you know, personal development. So I know this is going to be a very fruitful conversation for the listeners.
1: Oh, definitely. And um, I've been watching your journey as well. And I, I, I see where we are aligned. And of course, just as well, it just, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, ex- I'm excited. <laughs>
0: awesome. Awesome. Okay. So before we get to where you are presently, I love to find out, I'm, and I say, I ask this as an icebreaker question because, you know, I believe that as children, you know, when our minds are vivid and we're using our imagination and we're fantasizing about what we want to be or who we want to be. And then society starts to limit our beliefs on what is possible. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to know if you recall, Maxine, you know, what did you want to be when you're a little girl?
1: Wow. I love that. Okay. So if I go back in my memory, I think I probably wanted to be a school teacher like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because I wanted to help people. And of course, when you get, as you get older, you realize that your mind starts to change and you start to follow the expectation or the norm of what your parents expect you to be, like be a lawyer or a doctor per se or even um, an executive of some corporation. And I think all of my dreams of helping people was um was squashed because I was following the norm of what mm-hmm. our parents or society would would expect and um that of course it evolves into what i am now in in this way so as a child, yeah, we have all these dreams and aspirations, and I truly believe that when that happens at that age and i think it's, it's like that for everybody I think that it's your your spirit is telling you something, but mm-hmm. we don't we Right, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes back to it, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Like. You know, even with my present clients, one of the first things that we do is we envision, like, what do they really want to do without all of the limitations, without, you know, what their parents wanted them to do, without what their spouse wanted them to do or what they think they should be doing? What do they really want to do and use their imagination to visualize and get to that space? Because as kids, that's what we did, right? But then Mm -hmm. society tells you to be realistic and, you you know, limits what you uh, believe that you can do so.
1: Exactly.
0: I would love to know how you got to where you are presently. Like share that story of how you transitioned from the little girl who wanted to be a teacher to the woman you are today.
1: You know, I think that it was always in me. Uh, I didn't become a teacher. Obviously, I I was in the legal field and I worked at law firms for many many years. But during that time, I always pleasing and helping. So. I don't like to use the word pleasing anymore because I'm no longer doing that. But I think that a huge part of my personality was about helping, but it transformed into pleasing. And during that time, I think seeing how inspiring I was or how much of an impact I had on the people around me, it was leading me to where I am today. Mm -hmm. And there's a longer story, but I'll tell you the shorter story. Um, Really and truly, over the years, working in my corporate job, um, the people would gravitate towards me to help, to inspire them to do something, whatever that was, or even help them to uh, alleviate some of the burdens that they were carrying, or to look on the brighter side of things, or or change their perspective on the way that they dealt with people and circumstances and situations. And I always had that in me, but I just did, I didn't know how to bring that out. I had no idea to be honest with you back then I didn't, I didn't know much about coaches mm-hmm. it, it, so it took so many years McKinney for me to to get to that space in my life where I had to realize the job the career path that I chose in the legal field I was a legalist. I was an executive assistant I was a manager uh, at a real estate brokerage I was in um, property management so I was helping but it wasn't really in line with what I was re- truly called for mm-hmm. and the transition was was this part because I w- where I came into the wellness industry because every single day when I was waking up to go to work even though I was being a positive I was I was I was projecting a positive image and I was definitely um uh, well received at these jobs mm-hmm. but I wasn't fulfilled I realized that I had to wake up every single day and love what I do. And it took a lot of soul searching and meditation and questioning and researching for me to figure out that this is the the area that I should be in. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. You know, I always find it interesting the women who are entrepreneurs in the present state of doing what they love the transition stemmed from a pain so that's why i always say our pain births our purpose right and i know you talked about being a recovering people pleaser
1: <laughs>
0: yes very much so um, so there was i guess it was um you know when we were discussing what we were going to talk about today and you were talking about most of your people pleasing was during your marriage, and how it ultimately made you lose yourself mm-hmm. um it did I can one thousand percent relate been there, done that mm-hmm. and I would love if you could speak to how you were able to regain control of yourself and to lift your self esteem coming from that space
1: yes, okay, so because w- when I mentioned that my my the role I was playing, my professional role, I was always pleasing in that role. And um, it became a part of me. So every fiber of my being was all about making my boss happy, my employees happy, everybody happy, even the bus driver or the TTC driver, whoever took me to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was always about pleasing, never causing any trouble, making everyone happy. And I didn't realize that you know we, we a lot of times we don't realize the job that you do affects you mm-hmm. and and of course when i was a child that was the same thing i was always pleasing my parents making sure i was good so my my whole personality was just built around that mm-hmm. and so when i met my husband same thing i wanted to make sure that he was happy and i wanted to make sure that i didn't do anything that would make him unhappy because then he would be disappointed in me and he wasn't a bad person mm-hmm. at all. It's, it's more myself, um, not really knowing how to say, no, I don't feel like doing that today. Or I don't really want that uh, piece of furniture or um, I want to rest today. I don't want to do whatever. It was mm-hmm. very difficult for me to do that because I felt that if I, set, if I spoke up, there would be disappointment in in who I am and who you thought I was. Right? Can you relate to that? Like Completely. Totally understand. I, I didn't want him or anybody, not just my husband, like anyone to hear me say, nope, I don't feel like doing that today or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you want to make this? Sure. Let's. You want to go here? For sure. Let's go. Even if I didn't feel like it. So I had to, what I had to do was I had to seek advice from a coach to help me figure out why I had this personality trait and where it was coming from, and find out what the triggers were. And the first thing I had to do was learn to say no. Mm -hmm. That was the hardest part, because saying no made me feel like I was going to be rejected. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you can relate to that.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) I really just had to, I I wrote things down. I I write in my journal quite a bit. And there's this list that I've, I've always, I've always used this, and it works. And I tell everybody this. So I write down on a piece of if So if I do and if I don't, and it depends on your situation. So it would be like, if I stay and if I go. Mm-hmm. And I had to be very honest with myself. So I wrote down every single thing that could happen if I stayed. Not would, but could, mm-hmm. right? It's a matter of writing down your current situation. You know, uh, everything that is is involved in your relationship. And you can do this, whether it's your marriage or your work or your friendship it doesn't matter right so i wrote down if i stay all the list and it was just i just kept going 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 there was like 50 reasons or things and then on the other side i wrote down if i go and i'm telling you it was the if i go part the, the if i stayed was very secure mm mm-hmm. But it also had some conflicting uh, things about it because I knew that it would mean that I still had to put up with this and I still had to do this and I'd still be this and you know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah and then <laughs> the if I go part was like it was so freeing. It was scary because of course there would be like loss of security, loss of this, and all the loss, loss, loss. And I was like, wait a minute, Maxine. Even with these losses, what is the worst thing that happened when you wake up the next day if you go? Mm-hmm. Well I'll still breathe, I'll still have breath, I'll still have life, and I still have my family, and I have my heart, and I have my mind, and my soul. And it was just like, you know, it was just one of those moments where I thought, this is it. Mm -hmm. So in anything that you do, I think that's what we have to do. We have to get clear, find clarity, find something that's going to make you reveal, reveal to you what it is that you really need to do for your own self. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's what I did.
0: Wow. I mean, there's so many points in there that I can absolutely relate to. And I know that other women listening can relate to as well. And I, too, am a recovering people pleaser. And through my own healing journey and the coaching that, you know, the education that we have to do to maintain ourselves as as coaches, um, I learned that parent pleasers eventually become people pleasers. And Mm -hmm. we're programmed to put everyone else's needs before ours. We're programmed to make sure that we keep everyone else happy. We, You know, as kids, if we did something that was displeasing to our parents and we saw a certain look on their face, it would make us, you know, that reaction would make us say, next time, I'm not going to do that because that look wasn't pleasing on their face. Or if we had Mm -hmm. a toxic parent that made everything about them. Where we were taught that our needs don't matter; that you know our our parents' uh, needs come first, and then we grow up pleasing everybody else but ourselves, and it becomes very toxic. And you and I have spoken mm-hmm. about this before. Where mm-hmm. um, we end up in situations where we are in unhealthy relationships, and sometimes the unhealthy part of that relationship, where you know, you just said that you felt that it was yourself you know, not setting boundaries, not prioritizing your needs and not communicating your needs. And then sometimes Mm -hmm. it ends us up into these relationships with people with narcissistic personality disorder where we are constantly feeding their needs. And we feel Mm -hmm. like we need to continue to feed their needs to make them love us because we have, like you mentioned, rejection issues, abandonment issues, all of those things, those childhood wounds and traumas that Need to be healed. So, right. whenever I speak to women like yourself who have come to that awareness and are presently on their journey of healing, um, not just yourself but everyone around you, it excites me because we're breaking generational chains. You know, oh our, our parents did the best they could with what mm-hmm. they had. Um, you know, but now we have technology and research and science and yes. all you know all of this information that we didn't have access to back then. So that absolutely. we can unlearn and relearn new healthier habits to pass down to our children, our children's children. So we're we're creating a legacy without even realizing it.
1: You are absolutely right about that. And you know, you you just hit a chord with me when you're talking about um what our parents teach us or what they what we see in our parents. Mm-hmm. And I'm a mom. I have a seventeen year old daughter and um just I I've, I've had to check myself. And I say this because when I decided to end my marriage with my husband, um, it affected my daughter a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, I did everything I could to please her so that she can get through this. Mm -hmm. But in the process, I was broken. I went through anxiety, depression. I I didn't lose esteem, but I just lost my hope for Mm -hmm. life. But one of the things I did, and I, and, I, and I regret it to this day, but I know that I can fix it, is that my daughter saw me in some moments where I would have preferred her not to. Mm-hmm. And I've had revealed to her certain things that I didn't want to. Nothing bad about her father, but just about myself. Mm-hmm. And she has seen some display of people-pleasing, in in me and she has also received some of my disciplinary ways because you know we are taught how our parents taught us right so right I've bestowed them on her like I've, I would say things like no you shouldn't this and you shouldn't this and she would look at me and say no mommy I'm speaking my mind you've always told me to have a voice and I and she would speak up and I'd look at her and say listen I'm your mom be respectful and I've had to figure this out Makeni, mm-hmm. that teach my child so that she doesn't become a people pleaser like myself but because mm-hmm. everything stemmed from when I was a child, right? Yeah. Um. I don't know if there's any mom listening who may be in my position who who has a daughter or a son, but I find that with us moms, when we are when we go through our breakups, and w- w- there's different ways we can deal with it. We can rise above, or we can go down in the gutter. But our children are watching, and yeah, I sit down and myself, what have I displayed to my daughter, and how? how is it going to affect her when she gets a little older because she's watching me, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know. I think that I think about it a lot and she's mature enough to understand that yes, mommy went through a rough time and, you know, I had my moments where she would come into my room and I'm, I'm I'm looking like a hot mess and I'm crying. And she's, she's seen me just sort of like desperate for advice from people or reaching out to people for help. Mm-hmm. And it just made me feel like she's seen a weaker side of me, but maybe that was a good thing, right? So
0: I'm going to say from my experience, I've, I've had a very similar experience to yourself and there was a lot of awareness and reflection that happened after, well, especially during the divorce and a lot of what I tried to do in the very beginning with compensating uh, with my children and (laughs) it ended up backfiring on me because a lot of things that I tried to protect them from made them see me in the beginning as Mm -hmm. um, invisible. So, you know, I tried to be the strong mom that they never saw a cry, that they never saw a struggle. They weren't aware of any of my struggles. That was, you know, I wanted them to be kids and enjoy just being kids. But -hmm. at the same time, my overcompensation in the beginning, um, Mm. years, years later, they were like, well, you know, dad has a hard time with this or dad struggles with this because they would see and they would like openly hear from their father about, you know, his negative emotions. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't until I was open enough to allow, especially my girls, to see me cry and hear me talk about my struggles uh, with processing some of those things and even coming to the awareness now that I am on my healing journey and learning to heal a lot of the childhood wounds and childhood traumas so that I don't continue on with that as an adult. Um, Mm -hmm. They are now um, I'm going to say more empathetic and compassionate Mm -hmm. towards Mm -hmm. me because they're like, Oh, mom's human. Mom's not superwoman. I thought she was superwoman. (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) But like you said before, like, especially when you come from a Caribbean background, like I'm first generation Canadian. Right. So there's a lot Mm -hmm. of, women who have come on here that have been whether first generation Canadian or um, American, where their parents are um, African or Caribbean or whatever country and their way of parenting. Like I said earlier, like our parents did the best they could with what they had at that time. So their Mm -hmm. way of parenting came from what they learned. Right. And I, I truly believe that there's also a little bit of, um, if you look at, you know, how close our grandparents were to, um, slavery and certain things. So learning to be obedient, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I've done as a parent, and I know that there may be some parents that disagree, but I can see the benefits in my children is where I allow them to voice their thoughts and opinions and feelings openly without judgment and, Mm -hmm. Just, you know, yesterday I was with my 20 year old daughter and her boyfriend and his mother, and we were having a conversation and there were so many things that my daughter speaks openly about in front of me without shame or hesitation, because I've allowed her to feel comfortable mm-hmm. being open with me. So she knows that if anything does go wrong, she still can come to me, right? It's not like, oh, well, I'm, I'm afraid so to tell mom because she, you know, said this or said that. So I've tried to shift my upbringing. Because I do realize in the beginning, I was treating my children the same way that I was parented, but I realized that Mm -hmm. that didn't work. (laughs) You know, we've got a lot of adults right now that are trying to heal childhood wounds, um, or they're trying to heal emotional um, and mental um, concerns that could have been, I'm going to say, dealt with better had their parents allowed them to openly feel or speak or see
1: and experience certain things. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's very important for me to, to make sure that my child or my daughter is able to navigate her way through this because I know that there's going to be a lot of dips and valleys in her journey of life. And mm-hmm. um, I want her to be prepared, right? Mm-hmm. It's at least have some kind of um, awareness of who she is and, and what she deserves. And, um, and just so that she doesn't do the same thing I did and Absolutely. um yeah that's that's a difficult part people pleasing is I, I've told people this before. I think it's a disease, mm-hmm. and you've heard that term disease to please and it, I would say last year was probably when I started to realize that I had to stop mm-hmm. because this was now transcended into even my my business, where I would want to please someone by not um charging them too much mm-hmm. or or going above and beyond the scope of my work or even just like accommodating them in any end like oh no I'll meet you here and there if you want to do this or you know sure I'll I'll drive all the way here to the farm with you or whatever right like I Mm -hmm. would just do whatever because I just didn't want them to say well you know I'm really busy today and I don't really have time so can you just come and meet me and I would do that Mm -hmm. like I would and it's crazy. But I'm telling you, it's been very liberating and empowering when I say things like, well, I would love to help you out, but unfortunately, I'm not available this day or um, it's, it's not in a part of my plan. And I was shaking. And i, I get it
0: i get it <laughs> right <laughs> when you're a recovering people please there and you have to start saying you know you're like oh my god they're gonna hate me forever they're gonna think yes. i'm the worst person on the planet
1: <laughs> yes i i was like they're gonna hang up the phone any minute now i was bracing for it i was like okay they're gonna say well fine then bye-bye and and i like okay no problem i understand and i you know i was just whatever so it's, it's been difficult and um i'm practicing mm-hmm. saying. I'm not a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. I'm practicing because inside I really think that I still am. It's just like an alcoholic, you know, or even a, a drug addict. I think that you can come clean, but it's still in you. It's mm-hmm. still in you.
0: Right. Right. It's because of and the way that yeah. our brains are programmed, right? Like it's, everything is habitual. And yes, if we don't intentionally replace that habit with a new healthy habit, our brains will automatically pick up another habit, but it'll be unhealthy. Exactly. I I was thinking about, you know, what you were saying about clients and stuff. And I think that part of the reason why I have been able to do so much healing and at the same time multiply my business this year is because of boundaries. You know, on my Mm. own healing journey in the past couple of years, I have learned that I didn't have healthy boundaries like I thought. And the more that I have learned to say no, and the more that I have learned to communicate my feelings, and the more I've learned to be honest about what I want, what I don't want, or what I'm able to do. And one of the biggest words for me this year has been capacity, because even if I wanted to take on another client or wanted to answer a phone call or wanted to make time for a friend, you know, that just wants to talk, do I have the capacity? Right. Do I have Mm -hmm. because it's not just about time. It's also about energy. They need your energy. You could find the time in your schedule to go and meet that client, or you could find the time to, you know, take that phone call or squeeze somebody in. But do you have the capacity emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually?
1: My goodness. Yes.
0: people people sometimes it's not their it's not your time that they want. It's your energy. I, I think when we are on our healing journey. And I know that it's challenging. And I've got clients that definitely struggle with this. And I've done challenges with them about saying no. It's like, they're so used to saying yes to everybody. And they're saying no to themselves. And I'm like, can you afford to say yes to this person? Can you afford it mentally? Can you afford it financially? Can you afford it physically, Mm -hmm. spiritually? No. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, why are you doing it? So, I, you know, the, the Shonda Rhimes book, The Year of Yes, I give them a week of no. Like the challenge is to say no to everybody because it's going to feel awkward and hurt and and very uncomfortable at first, but all change is uncomfortable at first. Very messily in the middle, but beautiful in the end.
1: (laughs) And do you know, so a part of my recovery process is I'm learning to stop saying sorry.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like everything, if I, okay, I'll give you an example. If somebody calls me or texts me, or whatever emails me, and I don't have a chance to get back to them because I'm setting bounds. I've got things I have to focus on. I always come back with, "I'm sorry," even if it's a text that you sent me 20 minutes ago, and I didn't reply till mm-hmm. whatever. I'm always saying, "I'm sorry," and I think it's courteous, yes. But there's my reason for saying that is is not about that. It's about, oh my goodness, because you. Feel, I hope you. Yeah. Thinking. Oh yeah, I hope you don't think I'm being neglectful. I hope I'm ignoring you. Please don't think that way. I've just been really busy. So then, of course I start saying, I'm sorry, but I was this and this and that and my car this and da da. da. And I'm like, wait a minute, stop. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to just say, Hey, just responding now and get to the point. That has been a huge me. And I continue to say this. I continue to say sorry. And I'm learning to let go of that and without feeling like I'm not compassionate or having empathy for the person. Cause they, because sometimes people need you. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's very tough. And I'm, oh, I, I, can also relate to the I'm sorry part. And I think also as Canadians, we're conditioned to apologize for everything, that, <laughs> even if we're not sorry for it. Um, it's true. But what, but what I also started doing within the last year, because like yourself, I used to be that person that felt that I constantly needed to reply immediately to a text or an email. And I mm-hmm. was exhausted, right? It was It's draining trying to constantly keep up with the demands of everybody else. But once I set boundaries for myself, instead of coming from a place of "Oh my God, I'm sorry" and putting that energy like of heaviness towards myself, I flip the script to a place of gratitude, and I'll start it with "Thank you for your patience," and then you know mm. respond like you know, um, or you know, I appreciate you sending me this email. Thank you for your patience in my response. Da da da. Whatever. Um, instead of I'm sorry, like <laughs> right because that yes. that energy is going out there with the email. And what you said about compassion, like I I recently put a a post on Instagram about this, like the most compassionate people have healthy boundaries. You can't have Mm. compassion for people that you don't have a boundary with, because if you allow everybody to walk all over you and you say yes, when you're exhausted or um, anything like that, you're not going to be able to have patience and compassion with that person because you're going to come from a place of frustration or animosity or, you know, whatever it is. But- if you set those healthy boundaries for yourself, that way, the people that you are connected to and that you do interact with, you'll have mm-hmm. more compassion with those people.
1: Mm, right. Interesting. So tell me,
0: Maxine, how do you stay motivated?
1: You know, I've always said this to clients and friends. I say, if you don't take care of yourself, then who do you, who, who will do it? Who do you expect mm-hmm. to do it? Mm -hmm. So I think a huge part of my motivation is that I know that I have to take care of myself. I know that it's important. And I know that if you consistently do it, you'll get a better result. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And I'm addicted to fitness. I tell people that it's it's like my crack cocaine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If I could wake up and work out all day, I would. I can't. But I'm addicted to it, and it's it's a part of my mental health. Mm-hmm. So my motivation comes from the fact that when I get older, I want to be mobile. Mm. I think that's the biggest one. Mm-hmm. But it's probably out of fear because there's fear-based motivation, and then mm-hmm. there's and then the motivated-based, right? Mm-hmm. Or the other there's another kind, and you can cut this out if you want. I don't remember the two kinds. I should really. Um, but the point what I'm trying to say is my motivation is based on the fact that I do not want to become stagnant. And I do know for a fact that if you move your body every day for for all of you, for most of your life, if you move your body every day for at least 20 minutes, you're at a better a better chance of, of being very agile as you get mm-hmm. older.
0: Mm -hmm. that's why I do my one hour to two hour nature walks every day
1: (laughs) yes it's so important and I I I can never understand when I see somebody just waking up every day and just sitting around not doing anything and um and just not moving their body and and finding excuses I, I just find that very it's hard for me to understand that but everybody's different right
0: I know that healthy healthy motion equals healthy emotion Um, and I know that there are a lot of people, especially right now, I'm going to say, especially right now, during this time with the effects of the pandemic and everyone being stuck at home and, you know, not being able to do the things that they're used to doing and gyms being closed that can affect people's mental health. You know, a lot of people Mm -hmm. were in a space of anxiety and depression and all those things can lead to you being overwhelmed by your feelings. And when we are heavily Controlled by our feelings, it shuts down the parts of our brain that allow mm-hmm. us to find solutions. And I've seen Absolutely. people, you know, in family, friends that all are—I'm going to say—stuck in this place where they're so overwhelmed by their emotions they can't get off the couch. You know, they it'll like obviously there's different levels of mental health and different uh, struggles that that people deal with, but. Like you're saying, if you are a person of sound mind, there shouldn't be any reason why you cannot create 20 minutes in your schedule every single day mm-hmm. to make sure that you live a better, longer life.
1: Right. Yes. A part of uh, how, how I also stay motivated is I, I have this, um, I make these, it's like a block, just picture like a calendar, but it's blocked. It's blank, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It has those squares. And what I do is I make every week, or maybe even for the month. So what I do is every single day, I have to put an X in there in those squares. And I'm supposed to fill that up for the week or the month. Mm -hmm. So I don't put an X in there until I've done the things that makes me feel like I've set my intentions for the day. I've done something for my health and well-being and I've nurtured my body with good stuff. Right. So once I do all that and then I come and I put the X, then I feel that I'm doing something for myself and I feel that I can now serve. Yeah, so- it it makes a huge difference.
0: Absolutely, because you've set up a system for your your healthy habit, and all habits, whether good or bad, have a reward at the end of it, right? So the mm-hmm. way that our, our brains are programmed, whether we make a to-do list and we see everything that's checked off once we do it, or you have your um, schedule time blocked and you cross off once you've done things, you've accomplished it, to your brain, that's a reward, right? Mm-hmm. You've created this reward system. So that's amazing.
1: Right, exactly. So, so that's how I stay motivated. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. So before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you online.
1: So on all of my paths, it's Live Well with Maxine. Uh, that's Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And on LinkedIn, it's Maxine Choi. So that's pretty much where you can reach me.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So I will have the direct links where they can reach you in the detailed section of the episode so they don't have to search too far. <laughs> and. Awesome. For the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom, and it's almost like a rapid fire. Um, I ask you a couple of reflection questions, and you can share, whether it be one word or one sentence, whatever comes to mind. I like to break my own rules, so sometimes I may ask you to unpack that answer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, no problem.
0: (laughs) All right. Okay. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life.
1: It's by Iyanla Van Sant, and it's called Value in the Valley. Okay, awesome. Um,
0: If you could have a
1: gigantic billboard anywhere
0: with anything on it, what would it say and why?
1: Be yourself. And the reason is I've spent almost half of my life not being myself. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that everybody does that. Whoever is out there that's not being themselves.
0: Authenticity
1: is so important.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. What keeps you up at night?
1: Maybe just thinking about where I think I should be and why I'm not doing it. Mm. Mm. (laughs) I'm saying mm, I I felt that. I felt your energy (laughs) with that one. (laughs) Are we on the same wavelength right now? Yes.
0: (laughs) And you know, before we started recording, you said something about should, and I was like, no, no, yeah. no, it's whatever your spirit is calling for. Don't no, you shouldn't be doing anything anybody else is doing, because that's what their spirit is telling them to do. <laughs>
1: it's so you where it. should be. <laughs> but you know, this is where I use should twice, and I was like, mm-hmm. I'm aware of it, but mm-hmm. it's, and I mean, because we're finishing up, I don't want to get into the word should, because we should take it out, but mm-hmm. really and truly. Those are the things that keep me up at night and I need to stop that. Mm -hmm. Go at your own pace, Maxine. Yes. Go at your own pace. The time will come. Absolutely. No, because I have people reaching out to me going, Maxine, how come you don't have thousands of followers? You should. Look at you. You're this, you're this, you're that. And I'm like, ah, well, 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 what do you want me to do? And they're like, well, you should this, you should this, and you should post this, and you should do that. And I'm like, okay, okay. But then it's like, it's not, I'm not there yet. I've got too many things to, to do right now. I've got my life to put in order and I've got things to do.
0: So so, so now now I have two questions. First question, yes. the people who are telling you that you should have that many followers, do they have that many followers? One of them do.
1: And okay. the rest don't. They just think I should have thousands of followers. And I'm like, I am, I'm not here for that, really. It'd be nice, right. but it it doesn't define me.
0: Right, exactly. That's what I was about to say. Like, one thing is, anytime someone tells me what I should be doing, um, (laughs) (laughs) it's either they need to be in the ring doing it and are able to, they know what they're talking about. They're not just talking out of the side of their face. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I don't take advice from people who are not in a place that I want to be in, right? Um, (laughs) So (laughs) there's that. And then the other thing is, when it comes to followers, Um, your amount of followers on Instagram does not determine who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. The amount of followers on Instagram does not determine how much money you make. The amount of followers on Instagram does not determine the impact that you're making in the world. You could Mm -hmm. be making the greatest impact in the world and not care to even have a social media page. Right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, the vanity metrics that culture uses to determine someone's success right now you know, mm-hmm. I'm getting goosebumps as I say this, like, I'm not with it. <laughs> I, I I did sure. an interview on someone else's podcast recently, and I was talking about the difference between nature and culture. And culture has us chasing after accolades and followers mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of these things that are not natural. Like, who who does that serve? That only serves the ego, right? But nature, we're, we're in search of peace and freedom and love and connection. So If the amount of followers on Instagram one day converts to that for me, (laughs) then that's what I'll focus on.
1: It's so true. And that's why, like, people always ask me about my Instagram page and where I should be. And based on what I'm doing, it's this, it's amazing. And it's this and this. I'm hearing all these things. um, And they're telling me where I should be. And I I don't let that consume my mind. I just do whatever I have to do.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We could go down a whole, like <laughs> another segment on this topic. So maybe we'll, of we'll, you know, have a part two on that. Um, exactly. But yeah. <laughs> what impact do you want to have on the world?
1: I want to be able to leave a legacy behind that you have control over everything that happens to you in life your mind your body your spirit and the best thing that you could ever do that could ever happen to any human body is to have control over your mind how you think mm-hmm. what you speak of how you eat what you do to your physically when you have the control to be able to do that it's the liberating thing ever because a lot of times we lose control we are guided by, um, so we're influenced by the people around us, Our, whether it's a relationship you're in or where you're working or where you live. It sometimes dictates um, an environment where you, have, you lose your control, you get um, sidetracked or you get mm-hmm. influenced or encouraged to do something that you don't want to do. And mm-hmm. that's control. But if yeah. you have the power the control to say no when it's right for you, So I want to be able to help people to know that they have the power to control over everything that they do in their life. And that's basically what I want to leave behind. I want to be able to impact. Love
0: it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. See, the impactor, not an influencer. So (laughs) those people can take their Instagram numbers. and (laughs) Exactly. I want to thank you so much, Maxine, for coming on and sharing your story with us. I truly, truly appreciate you.
1: Thank you so much. I truly appreciate this conversation. It was great. (laughs)
0: <laughs> thank you and to all of you legacy leavers out there until next time subscribe on all platforms rate the show and leave us a review on apple podcast feel free to join our community of legacy leavers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at com, where you can receive a free copy of the gratitude journal and feel free to grab any of my personal development books available online everywhere and if you can think of one woman that would receive value from hearing maxine's story today please share it with them Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Maxine at live well with Maxine and you can tag myself at the real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.